Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. This time of year, of course, it's customary for preachers to preach on, well, the birth of Jesus. Uh, I I did that last Sunday, actually, with the help of the story of Simeon and Anna. Uh, But preachers will talk about that. They'll go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and sometimes John, of course. But we'll focus on different elements that pertain directly to the season. The birth of Jesus, uh, pastors and preachers, they preach on, you know, Joseph and Mary, King Herod, the wise men. I mean, there are so many different things that you can preach from the Gospels. Well, I'm not going to do that today. Uh, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to be a little uh, unconventional. Is that okay? I'm going to do something that's just different. And again, it's not, it's not better than, it's just different from. So today, with that in mind, I, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you, if you have it on the phone, you can flip there, uh, to Philemon, the book of Philemon. Now, raise your hand if you've ever read the book of Philemon. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever heard a sermon on Philemon. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, well, today will be the first. All right, one, maybe one person here. Okay, well, go to Philemon. Now, there is no shame in the fact that you have no idea where Philemon is. All right, go to the contents, the very beginning of your Bible. Scroll, look down, look down, look down. You'll see it in the New Testament kind of toward the end. Uh, and it'll give you the page number. Go to Philemon. I'm going to have all the passages right here on the screen, of course. And I also want you to go to Isaiah, old, old school, Old Testament, Old Covenant, Isaiah 53. Okay, so flip there, and we're going to come back to that here in a couple of hours. I'm just teasing. This is actually a short message. And so um, with that in mind, let's pray. Father, I ask today for your help. Lord, I need you. I need you to help me to communicate these truths from this incredible document that we call Philemon. And Lord, I'm asking today that you would open up hearts, that you would open up minds. Lord, I'm praying for good soil for us today as we hear this word. I'm asking that it would produce an incredible return in our lives for your glory. And so, Lord, we pray these things. Come on, can we lift our hands just for a minute? Can we just surrender right now to the Lord? Lord, we surrender to you. We surrender our hearts. We, we push aside the, the busyness of the season, all that's going on in our minds, even the thought of where we need to be after this. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us focus for these the few minutes that we have together to focus on this text, Lord. So I'm asking for your help. Open up our hearts and minds. Do what only you can do. We pray these things and we ask these things in Jesus' awesome name. And everybody said... Amen. All right. If you've got Philemon, say got it. All right. Again, we're going to have it all here on the screen behind me. Now, the title of my message today, very traditionally, is called, well, I'll be home for Christmas. I'll be home for Christmas. Now, let me give you just a little bit of backstory concerning this 25-verse document we call Philemon. I'm going to start out, give you some context. We're going to go slow. Okay, I'm going to build the picture, the profile, and then we're going to make some application. Can I do that? All right, here's what we're going to do. We're we're going to start with, first of all, the fact that Philemon is really, we call it Philemon. It's really a letter. Everybody say letter. It's Paul's letter that he wrote to Philemon. And again, it's 25 verses long. It's very, very short, but it's a letter. Paul wrote it, and he wrote it about 30 years after Jesus died on the cross. Okay, so this, this is a what? It's a written by the Apostle 
written. How many years after Jesus died? About 30 years after he died. And so let me go ahead and read this to you. Of course, this letter is written to Philemon. And here is what Paul says, beginning here at the very top, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, if you have your Bible and you don't mind writing in it, circle these words. Our beloved fellow worker. And Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived, keywords here, much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, pause just for a second. Here's what's going on. Here's the backstory. Philemon was a wealthy individual that Paul knows, well, to some extent. Paul knows this man, Philemon, because, well, Paul led him to the Lord. Paul preached the gospel to this individual. Philemon gets saved. And then pretty quickly, Philemon, well, he is used by God in a mighty way. We're told here that, well, Philemon actually had a church that met in his house. And this isn't a, a real long time after he got saved, probably around five years or so. He gets saved. He opens up his home. This is a wealthy man who used his means to be a blessing to the people of God who met in his house. And so Paul commends him. He, he thanks God for Philemon. Uh, as far as Paul is concerned, Philemon is an MOG. Do y'all know what that is? He's a man of God. And, and he commends him here. I mean, he said, I thank my God always. And he talks about what Philemon had done and how, how his heart had been refreshed, how he had derived much joy and comfort because of all that this man was doing. And so to summarize, we can say Philemon was, well, kind of a model, huh? He was, well, he was wealthy, but he used his means. That means he was generous. He was a man of God. He was greatly loved. I mean, we could go on and on, couldn't we? But the point here, so far, so good, right? Two thumbs up, right? Does anybody see anything bad that I just read? It's all good, huh? Y'all see it? Okay, two thumbs up. So as we read through this, well, we get this profile about who Philemon was. But as we move forward, I'm going to share something with you that will be shocking to you if you have never read this document before. And it's this. After his conversion, Philemon remained a wealthy Christian slave owner. It's very quiet in here because you're thinking, how can that be? Aren't you? Some of you are thinking that you should be. How many of y'all know some things just don't go together? Wealthy, that's fine. But Christian, what? Slave owner? How does that work? And Paul's commending this guy, so to speak. He's thanking God for a wealthy Christian slave owner. Now, time out. Okay. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. So I need to clarify what all that means. But let, let me take a step forward in the story. Can I do that? Here we go. We've got Paul. Paul writes a letter to Philemon. He's wealthy. He's being used by God. 
Philemon has, well, a slave, and the slave's name is Onesimus. Here's the story. Onesimus runs away from Philemon. And in running away, he steals some of Philemon's stuff. And he runs away, runs to Rome, where he thinks, well, you know, of course, Rome had the best nightlife in the entire world. Like, if you want to party, you go to Rome. If you want to be a part of pagan festivals, well, you go to Rome. If you want to hide, you go to Rome because there are so many people there. You could go to that place and no one would know your name unless you offered it, of course. And so Onesimus runs away. He's trying to hide in Rome. But watch this. In running away, he runs into someone very important. He runs into the Apostle Paul. Now, if you're running away from God, the last person that you would want to run into would be the Apostle Paul. All right. This is like you, you know, backsliding, you know, getting mad at God, leaving God, leaving the church. You running away, thinking you've got away from all of God's people. Then you're in line somewhere ordering you turn around and there's Pastor Jacob with those big prophetic eyes looking at you going, man, oh God, <laughs> where have you been? Or me there. You think you've outrun me. You're like, I got Pastor Scott out of my life. All those sermons and all that pressure. I'm thinking, then you turn around. There I am. Hey, man, of God, where have you been? Onesimus ran away. And rightly so from, from, from Philemon. But on the way, he's, on the way in doing this, he, he stole some goods, some things from Philemon. And so here we're told that, well, in Scripture we're told that he runs into the Apostle Paul. And in running into the Apostle Paul, he ran into the grace of God and the power of the gospel. See, oftentimes we think we're going to run away and find our freedom Listen to me carefully. The only place that you will find true freedom is in Jesus Christ. Because check it out. Onesimus was physically free and that was really good. But it, Jesus says, he who the son says free will be free indeed. Onesimus was free physically, but he was still in bondage until he met Jesus. But then when he met Jesus, became born again. Jesus set him free. And some of y'all, y'all know what that's like because you were in bondage and you ran away from God. But in running away from God, God appointed that you would run into a man or a woman of God who would lead you to the Lord. And today, because of the gospel, you are free indeed. That's your story, right? If you're a believer, you're free indeed because you ran into the grace of God. You were running away from him, but you ran into the grace of God. Come on, if that's you, put your hands together and thank him today that you ran into the grace of God. If God's called you, you can run, but you cannot hide from God's grace. And so Onesimus runs away. He stole some of Philemon's stuff, runs into Paul. Paul preaches the word, ministers the word. Onesimus gets radically born again. And listen to what Paul says to Philemon in writing this letter about Onesimus. Listen carefully, picking it up here in verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Check it out. Verse 10. I appeal to you for my child. Say his name. Come on, say it again. Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Look parenthetically here. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. 
I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Now, again, we don't know all the details, but Paul was uh, imprisoned in Rome. He had some freedoms. Somehow, some way, these two came into contact with one another. Onesimus gets saved. But not just saved. This wasn't just like Paul had a service and said, every eye closed, every head bowed. If you want to go to heaven, you know, repeat this prayer after me and raise your hand. This was Onesimus gets saved under Paul, but then they became very close. They became very close as brothers. Notice the language here that Paul uses. He says, Onesimus Watch this. He's my child. I am his father in the Lord. He is my child. And I'm sending him back to you. And the language he uses is very affectionate. I'm sending my very heart. Now that's strong language, isn't it? The language here suggests that Paul thought the world of Onesimus. They bonded. They grew close together as they worked together. Now, as I think about this, uh, listen to me. We all need people in our lives like the Apostle Paul, don't we? Because see, Paul, he viewed this man no longer as a thief, but Paul viewed this man as a child, as a born again man of God. Paul did not call him a thief. He wasn't labeled as a thief. Paul called him his child. He's his very heart. Which, like, gosh, if you think about anybody in the Bible that understood the grace of God, it was the Apostle Paul. Because how many of y'all know the Apostle Paul had a radical conversion experience? He understood the grace of God. And I love that Paul did not view Onesimus in light of his past. He viewed Onesimus through the eyes of Jesus and he saw him as a beloved brother in the Lord. I don't know about y'all. I need people like Paul in my life. I need people like him, people who don't judge my present in light of my past. Did y'all get that? You need people in your life who will not judge what they say presently based on what previously happened in your life. Does that make sense? It's been said that your past should be a place of reference, not a place of residence. In other words, you learn from your past, you grow from your past, but you don't live in your past. Some of you today, you're living in your past and in your present, all you can see is your past and your past is affecting your present and your future. Paul calls him his child. He calls him his, his very heart. There's a fundamental change of mind, change of status in Onesimus and Paul saw him as such. He called him up as such. He, he saw him in this new way. Now, when I think about this, like, just let me get out of the text for a second. I'm so grateful for this truth in every season, but especially at Advent. The Bible says in Psalm 103 that God removes our sin as far as the east is from the... <coughs> when we think about east from the west, well, of course, when the psalmist wrote that all those years ago, he wasn't thinking exactly in these terms, but today you can go far north. And what's as far north as you can go? Did anybody pass geography? North Pole? You can go south and you can go only so far. And eventually, if you go south, you keep going, you're going to end up going where? Yeah, there's north, there's south. But if you start going east and you keep going east, well, you'll never arrive where? In the west. If you go west and you keep going, you'll never arrive. That's how far God has removed your sin from you as far as the east is from the west, infinitely from your life. That's good news, isn't it? 
He has removed your sin. Listen to how Micah says it. Micah 7, 18 and 19. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast, God, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Picture that. God taking all your sin, all your junk, all your guilt, all your shame, and throwing it over into the bottom of the sea. Never to be recovered again. Corey Tim Boone says it this way. God buries our sins in the depths of the sea and then puts a sign that reads, no fishing. No fishing. Don't go there. But unfortunately, we go there, don't we? Does anybody ever deal with your past, the guilt of the past things you've done in the past that that bothers you? Raise your hand. Anybody? Yeah. You go there. You worry about those things. Other people will go there and remind you of those things. I mean, some people put on their scuba, you know, equipment and they dive down. They're going down to the bottom, going back into your past, going back on the social media, going back as far as they can, trying to find things about you. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. They may go there. They may bring it up, but God promises he will never go there. Come on, y'all. That's good news this Advent season. He'll never go there. He's cast them to the bottom of the sea. He's removed them as far as the east is from the west. And so today we're justified. We're holy. We're the people of God, not perfect. We're not perfect, but God sees us as such because we are clothed in Jesus' righteousness. I said, y'all look good today. That's true. But before God, you look really good. Not because you stand before him clothed in your righteousness. You stand clothed before God right now in Jesus' righteousness. And he sees you as perfect. Isn't that amazing? Almost too good to be true, but we have to believe it. It's in the scriptures. So listen, are y'all with me? Onesimus, if you take a note, write this down. Onesimus means useful. It means useful. But Onesimus became useless, that is from Philemon's perspective, because, well, Onesimus stole some of his stuff. Now, the Bible doesn't say, but I could just hear Philemon going, that useless Onesimus. His name means useful. Yeah, right. He stole my stuff. He ran away with my goods. That useless. He's a Christian, so he probably, didn't, he probably didn't curse. But you understand? He was viewed as useless. But then Onesimus runs into Paul, runs into the grace of God, and Paul calls him useful. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? So let's do this. His name means useful. Because of his sin, he became useless, but because of Jesus and the gospel, he became useful to God, both to Paul and to Philemon. How many of y'all know that's what God does? Before you met Jesus, you were useless. Now, where else can you go but Midtown to hear that you were useless before you met Jesus? You were, I was useless before I, I met Jesus. That is useless to God. But watch, we're, we're born with gifts. All of you, you're born with gifts. But... By virtue of the first birth, because of sin, we misuse our gifts, don't we? Like, for example, I shared this with the first service. Um, I knew people back in high school, these dudes, like, who were really good at selling drugs. Now, I'm not glorifying that. I'm just telling you the story. These dudes would fail at school, but in keeping up with how much they were selling, like, they were some businessmen, y'all. People say, well, what do you do? I'm, I'm in sales, you know? <laughs> and like, I knew some, like the numbers and like they had a business mind and like running out of their car. And I'm like, 
How do y'all do that? They were gifted. Born with gifts. Born with the ability to, you know, we talk about the, the gift of gab. My wife tells me that I talk too much. Now, y'all would never believe that or say that, would you? But, you know, you know at night, about 9 o'clock, I'll, you know, I'll get in bed with Kelly and I'll be like, hey, baby, let's talk. How's the day? And then she won't answer, and I'll start talking about my day. You know what she does to me pretty frequently? You know what she says to me? Shh. Come on, ladies. Any, any, any ladies here? You, you're done? I say I see one. Anybody? Yeah. Like, if you want to talk to me, like, around, you know, 8 in the morning, 7 in the morning, that would have been a good time. She's done with me at that time. She's so tired. You talk too much. Baby, what? Okay, maybe that's why I preach so long. I just like words. I like words. I like to talk. I knew dudes in high school that had the gift of gab and good at sales, good at, well, being useful for the devil. But then they get born again. How many of y'all know when you get born again, the gift remains the same, but now because of God, you're using it for a different purpose. Does that make sense? So you go from being useless to being what? Useful for God to God and to people. That's what the gospel does, doesn't it? The gospel is not just your ticket to heaven. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And in salvation, we are fundamentally changed from the inside out. We're not looking to control behavior. God, when he gets a hold of your heart, it's a hold of your heart, your hands and your feet follow, don't they? Your life changes. You go from being useless to useful. Well, that's what happened here in this story as it pertains to Onesimus. He said, I'm sending, I'm sending this fellow back. I'm sending him back. And he is my child. I'm sending my very heart. Now watch this. Earlier I said that Philemon was a wealthy Christian slave owner. Okay, what an oxymoron, right? Let me address that. Paul is sending Onesimus back. So Onesimus spent time with Paul. He's sending him back to Philemon. And he's doing so with a huge agenda and with a really big ask. Okay? Listen carefully. Philemon, verses 13 through 16. Paul says, this is to Philemon. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. In other words, I want you to come to this revelation and conclusion on your own. And he was confident that he would. Verse 15. Check this out. For this perhaps, everyone say perhaps. For this perhaps is why Onesimus was parted from you for a while. That you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, look at the words, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, more than a bondservant, listen to the language, as a beloved, you say it, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, this was a huge ask. In the Greco-Roman world, slavery was very common. Paul is asking Philemon to do something unthinkable in many ways. He's asking him to do something 
inconceivable for a lot of people at this time, especially this slave owner. He's asking that Philemon would receive this runaway thief back, but not just, hey, you can come back, I'll forgive you. He's, he's saying to him, receive him back no longer as a, as a slave, but as what? A beloved brother. And he says elsewhere, receive him like you would receive me. Isn't that powerful? Paul's basically saying, I want you to have a fundamental change of perspective about this runaway slave. In other words, let me fill it in. I want you to receive him back as an equal in the Lord. I don't want you to see him as a bond servant. I want you to see him as an equal brother in the Lord forever. Paul says to the Galatians in Galatians 3:28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one. Everybody say it with me. You are all one in Jesus Christ. Man, this is powerful, revolutionary. Paul's saying, I want you to have a fundamental change of mind about this man. Philemon, God started a good work in you, but there's more that he wants to do. How many of y'all know God always finishes what he starts? Philemon was wealthy. He had means. He was beloved to Paul. He was generous. But there was still one thing at least that he lacked. Paul said, I'm sending my very heart back to you. And he did so as a challenge for Philemon. He said, I could command you to do this, but I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. In other words, Paul was very, very confident that Philemon would receive this letter. And because of his love for God and his love for people, his mind would be changed and he would see Onesimus as his beloved brother forever. Now that's genius, isn't it? Here we see in this letter very clearly, Paul, I've, I've looked at this, or different interpretations, I believe with all my heart, this is the Apostle Paul laboring to sow seeds of liberation, to sow gospel seeds of equality in Philemon. And those same seeds would be scattered throughout all of history into the minds and the hearts of men and women who would fight for the abolition of slavery everywhere it exists. From John Newton to William Wilberforce to Abraham Lincoln, the idea that all men, all women are created equal and that before God in Jesus, we are all one. And so people say, you know, something will happen. There'll be some injustice on the news. And, you know, then preachers will respond and say, we hate prejudice. But what about when it's not on the news? We need to talk about this all the time. Black brothers, black sisters, white brothers, white sisters. We are all one. And I'm going to keep on saying it because not everybody believes it. So since we are equal before the Lord, it is a sin to treat anyone else as less than. Did y'all hear that? Because the gospel is the great leveler. It lowers the proud and it raises the humble. Because see, if, if you think you're better than somebody else, the gospel of Jesus Christ will call you out and say, no, you're not. If you feel like you're lesser than, the gospel of Jesus Christ will call you up 
won't it? Jesus came to save us from our sins. He's coming again, not as the Messiah coming to win friends and influence people. When he comes back, Revelation 19 says he's coming on a white horse with a double-edged sword to strike down the nations. He's coming to bring justice to this world. Between now and then, our cry should be, Lord Jesus, you have made my brothers and my sisters. You've made us in your image, God. You made us in your image and you brought us together as one church. And therefore, we are to view one another, watch this, not as threats, but as gifts. You know you're growing in Christian love and maturity when you begin to see your brothers and sisters, no matter who they are, where they're from, no matter what their, their skin color is, you begin to see them not as threats, but as gifts. Listen to me, you're a gift from God to me. I don't know what I am to you, but I hope I'm a gift to you. I hope that we look at one another in that way as, as equal brothers and sisters in the Lord. Listen to me, this Christmas season, this Advent season, I thank God for you. I thank God for Midtown. I thank God for each and every one of you. This place is home for us. Kelly and I, we love y'all so much. I mean, there have been campuses I've pastored in the past and I love them, but I have deep affection for y'all at this campus. I am so proud to be called your pastor. And I mean that with all my heart. When I say I can't wait to show up on Sunday to preach, really that's less about me preaching, that's more about me just being here with y'all. I hope you feel that from, from my heart, from us. Are y'all with me? It's only 11.53, normally it's like 12.30 by the time we're done. I'm gonna speak, we'll be done here shortly. Y'all know what that means, right? Nothing. <laughs> no. <laughs> hold on. Hold tight. We're doing good. Um, so Philemon could have been thinking after reading this letter. Okay. Receive him back. Okay, Paul. Um, but this man deserves to be punished for what he's done. He ran away. Stole my stuff. He stole my stuff. He jacked my stuff. And you're asking me to receive him back Forever? As a brother, a beloved brother? I'm just not used to seeing you this early. You're right on time. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> it's not your fault. You're doing exactly what I told you. I'm just, 1153 and Madison on the Keys, they don't go together. Um, follow, <laughs> follow me. Are y'all, okay, back in the spirit. Are y'all with me? If you're, if you're Philemon, you probably would think something like, you're asking me to receive this guy back? Now, if you're Onesimus, you're like, um, Paul, have you prayed about that? There's got to be a better way. You're sending me back to him? The man who had the power, the authority, to punish Onesimus. Possibly to put him to death. You're asking me? to go back to him? Mm-hmm. And here's the best part of this, in my opinion, of the entire letter. Verse 18, Paul says to Philemon, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Wow, isn't that powerful? In other words, if he's stolen from you, taken from you, hurt you, injured you financially in any way, don't worry about it, Philemon. I'll pay for it. 
Now, do you see here the heart of the Apostle Paul? Laboring for their reconciliation, doing everything possible to see Onesimus and Philemon reconcile. I'll pay for it. I'm removing every obstacle, at least in this way. But more than anything, it just shows his heart. Let me ask you a question. Who do you need to be reconciled with this Advent season? Who's wronged you that you haven't forgiven? Who do you need to forgive? It could be a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife. It could be a coworker. It could be somebody here at church. A lot of people walking around with bitterness and resentment and hurt and pain. It's a very dark world that we live in. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to, so to speak, set free? And not, it's not just about you setting them free. When you forgive, really you're the one who becomes free. You say, well, Pastor Scott, you know what they did to me? No. Well, let me tell you. They'll tell me and then say, they deserve to pay for what they've done. Listen carefully. Somebody did pay for what you've done and for what they've done, and his name is Jesus. Somebody did pay. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another. I could preach for hours on just that. There is so much cruelty in this world. If you want to be used mightily by God, just be kind to people. We talk about keeping the Christ in Christmas. And that means for a lot of people, we'll make sure, you know, somewhere in the building on Christmas, you know, there's a, a manger scene, that Joseph and Mary are there, we, we celebrate Jesus' birth, and that we preach messages that are about Jesus, and when we have devotionals, you know, it's family devotionals at the end of the day or week, that, you know, throughout Advent season, we talk about Jesus, and a lot, a lot of that involves the paraphernalia in the, the talk. But if you want to keep the Christ in Christmas, be like Christ through Christmas. Show mercy. Be tenderhearted. Paul says this, listen to the language, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Well, that's a whole other level, huh? How did God in Christ forgive you? I said it earlier. He removes your sin as far as the, and cast your sin into the, no fishing. I want to charge you. Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Be forgiving. And because Jesus died on the cross, that doesn't make the, the feelings of bitterness and animosity all of a sudden go away. But Jesus does say, if you don't forgive those who sin against you, then neither will my Father forgive you. 
Oh, well, I've never heard it quite put that way. How many of y'all want to be forgiven? Nine of you? Okay, that's better. Okay. Some of you are like, uh uh-uh. Okay, well. If you don't forgive, Jesus is saying, basically, you're, you're not acting like a Christian, like someone who has been forgiven. But as we look at this story, the truth is, each and every one of us here, we need forgiveness daily. All of us have stolen. All of us have lied. All of us have been like Onesimus. In this sense, though, we have run away from God. That's the bad news. The good news is that because of Jesus, all of our sins are paid for, and we can come home to the Father this Christmas and say, I'll be home for Christmas because of what Jesus has done for me. Paul says, Paul says, if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Sounds like someone we know very well and love very much. Who's that? Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen to what Isaiah 53 says, written hundreds of years before Jesus came. Isaiah 53, five and six. But he, that is Jesus, the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Several years ago, I was out to eat, actually to breakfast with my wife, and we were there and had a nice breakfast together. I think it was, at a, yeah, it was at another broken egg. Ordered, ate, and well, we were wrapping it up and asked for the, the waitress to, to bring us the bill so I could give the card and pay and go on about our business. Well, she comes up to the table and I'm expecting her to hand me the ticket, but instead she looks at me when I go to offer my card and she says, oh, Mr. Adams, it's all been taken care of. The bill has already been paid. I'm like, well, if I'd known that, I would have ordered more. (laughs) Come on, y'all. Your debt, the debt that you're in because of your sin, Jesus said, I'll pay for it. You don't want to pay for it throughout eternity in hell. But Jesus said, I'll pay for it. Come on, I don't know about y'all. I don't want to pay for my sin. I'm going to trust Jesus to pay for my sin. The Lord had laid upon him the iniquity of us all. What an incredible gift, people of God. You're forgiven today. You're righteous today. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus, the suffering servant of Isaiah, has done for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, y'all. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Our sins have been removed. As far as the east is from the west, come on, give him some praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We can come home to you. Some of you have been running away from God. You're here in the building, but you you know you can be in the building, but far away from God. I want you to bow your heads right now and close your eyes with me. 
you're here, I want you to just be honest before the Lord. He already knows that this is your moment to respond to him. You say, Pastor Scott, I'm in the building, but my heart's been far away from the Lord. I want to come home to God for Christmas. I want to come home and stay at home with him. I've been away. My heart's been drifting. I've been away. I want to come home. If that's you, no one's looking around. I want you to lift your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to come home. I want to come home. I want my sins forgiven. I want a new start. I want to be with God and I want to be in his presence and enjoy his presence. If that's you, just slip up your hand right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you. Right now, right now, just repent of your sin before the Lord. He knows it, but just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for running. I'm sorry for drifting. I'm sorry for letting other things get between us. Lord, I'm sorry. And because of Jesus, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Say this with me. I'll be home. Say it with me. I'll be home for Christmas because of Jesus. Come on, let's all raise our hands right now. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the peace of God on our lives. In a fallen, crazy, mixed up world, we can take joy in the fact that we are right in your sight. We have your peace today. Our sins have been forgiven. We are the born again children of Almighty God. And today, Lord, we thank you that we're not gonna go fishing this holiday season. We're not going fishing in the next season. We're gonna leave our sins where you left them, at the bottom of the sea, forgiven and forgotten forever. And so, Lord, thank you for your grace. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here today. Lord, we thank you that you're here with us. Oh, Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit of God, thank you for your peace right now. If you be for us, who can be against us? Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that these truths would go deep into our hearts. Lord, I pray that like Philemon, like Onesimus, that we would have a fundamental change of mind about one another and about ourselves. By the power of the gospel, we pray. All these things in Jesus' name, everybody said.